This morning, our sermon text is from Psalm 130. If you want to turn there and read along, Miss Sherry Hollis is going to read that text for us this morning. This is from Psalm 130, a song of ascents. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Amen. Thank you very much, Ms. Sherry. This is our sermon text for today, so as we consider it, I pray that you have a copy of God's Word with you, whether that's electronic or print, and uh, you turn there because we're going to spend a good bit of time looking at the actual text itself to understand exactly what's going on. Psalm 130 is often categorized as what we would call a psalm of penitence or a psalm showing sorrow over sin. And that's really how the psalm begins. We've already talked about that a little bit this morning. And some of you might immediately think, well, that seems kind of strange for what we call kind of Thanksgiving Sunday, right? Thanksgiving Sunday, you decide, Brother Zach, to come in here with a a psalm of penitence. Why not a psalm of Thanksgiving, but again, I I honestly believe that when we recognize the weight and guilt of our sin, that it does magnify the forgiveness and grace of God, which leads to, I pray, thanksgiving and worship and praise. When we think about how much we've been forgiven of, it causes us to praise God all the more. So this morning, we see the psalmist doing that, and I pray that our hearts and minds connect with the, the idea behind this psalm, and it leads us to leave here more thankful to God for who he is. So if you would, look back at the text with me. Let's read these first three verses and see kind of the brokenness of the psalmist here. He says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? As we prepare to look at this together, if you would join me, let's pray and ask ask God's favor during this time. Father God, this is something that, that we don't do that often. To think about and to admit whether to you or to anyone or even to ourselves sometimes, Lord, the severity and depth of our sin. But Father, today we are reminded that we, apart from you, are sinful people stuck in the depths with no hope. Father, I pray that as we remember that, as we prepare even in just a little bit to observe your supper, as we think about the links that you went to in order to redeem us from our sin, Father, that it makes our hearts so jubilant that we cannot help but praise you. So, Father, be with us this morning. 
Help our minds to be fixed on your word and free from distraction, whether inside or outside of this room. Father, let the things of yesterday be gone and the things of tomorrow be to come. But for now, let us be focused on what is here before us, and that is your word. Fill this room with your presence through your spirit so that we would be attentive to what you would have us to do. And Lord, turn our hearts and minds towards you in a mighty way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So immediately here in this psalm, in in Psalm 130 and verse 1, you can see the agony of the psalmist, right? The psalmist says here uh, that he's crying out to God and he's asking God to hear his voice. And he's asking God to be attentive to his pleas for mercy. But he even tells us where he is. Where is he crying to God from? He's crying to God out of the depths. Now, if you... And if you have time this week, you might do this. Some of you have a little more free time than normal, some maybe less. But if you have some time, you might go through the Psalms and look at all the times that this language of the depths or being in the deep or stuck in uh, water or mire up to the neck of the psalmist is used. And, and you see that really this language of out of the depths is telling us that this psalmist is in a place of misery and despair. It's just a terrible place that you don't want to be. And it's this helpless state where you're completely dependent on somebody else, right? Somebody that feels like they are in the depths crying out to God. That is a person that is throwing away all self-dependence. They recognize that they cannot get out of the situation on their own. You see that over and over. And sometimes it's in response to an illness or injury of some sort. Sometimes it's, it's in response to grief over loss or something else. Sometimes uh, it's even due to enemies that are mounting, that are too many. And the, the psalmist just feels like they are stuck in the depths. But here in Psalm 130, it's not due to somebody else. It's not due to an illness. It's due to the sin in the life of the psalmist. And that really is made clear by the context of verse 3, where in 1 and 2, he's telling us how he feels. He's in these depths. He's in misery. He's in despair. He's, he's under the weight of something. And then in verse 3, he, he turns his mind to sin, right? If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, right? If you keep a tally of our sins, then who could stand? And so we start to see the idea of what the psalmist is dealing with here. This is an individual that has sinned. Now, right, we recognize, we all recognize that we've sinned, right? I mean, it's not, not that surprising that the psalmist has sinned. And we don't know what the exact sin is. We're not, we don't know the immediate context of Psalm 130, exactly who wrote it and what was going on. But we do recognize this. This is somebody that has sinned. And they recognize how sinful their sin is. Right? They recognize how severe and how wicked their sin is. And we don't know exactly what it is, but whatever it is, it's causing them great grief, the fact that they have done whatever this thing is. And that feeling is very clear in these first few verses of the psalm. And so for me, I can identify, there, there are multiple times in my life that I've done things that I should not have done, and I immediately knew it. Right? And there's this, there's this terrible feeling that goes along with that. But probably the most clear example for me as I've thought about this is because I've tried to really kind of sit with the psalmist in this idea. It's the time I've talked about a little bit before. It's the time that I was arrested whenever I was in high school. And now it's 
It's not my favorite topic, but it's really, for me, it's allowed my mind and heart to connect with the way that the psalmist felt here. Because on that night, right, I haven't given you a whole lot of the context when I've talked about it before, but so I was out with some friends late at night doing things we shouldn't have been done. Long story short, I, we were pulled over. I was arrested for DUI. And as I spent that night in jail, right, I don't remember if I was 17 or 18. It's right around there. But, but as, as I'm booked in and as I go into the cell to lay on like this kindergarten mat on a concrete slab, and I'm sitting there on my own, I could feel the weight of what I had done, right? This, this was severe. This was, this was impactful. This was terrible. Um, I knew I had made a big mistake that, that, was, that brought a lot of shame to me. And I had several hours on my own to think about that. But, you know, even more than that, even more than the feeling of that night on my own, the next morning when my dad came to pick me up, and, you know, my dad walks into the police station and they release me to him, and I can see his face, and I can see his demeanor, uh, his body language. There, there was this desperate feeling of pain. There really was. Of, of the shame of this hurt that I'd brought to my father and um, how I'd wronged him. And really, I think the feeling was this. He doesn't deserve this. Right? He doesn't deserve. He's a good dad, and he has been a good dad. And he doesn't deserve to have to go to the police station to pick up his son and for the local newspaper, the Neshoba Democrat, to run in the arrest report this week his son's name and have to answer the questions. That he doesn't deserve that. There was this feeling of I dishonored and disgraced my father and my family name. All of these feelings are coming, and, and I was struck by the weight of my sinful actions. I couldn't take it back. It was already done. But how, how grieved I was that I had done this. And I think that's what the psalmist is saying here. The psalmist has sinned in some way, and he's just in this place of misery and despair, and he's crying out to God, and he's saying, God, please hear me. God, please give attention to me, because I can't continue in this place that I am. And I pray that all of you, that every single one of us, not because it's enjoyable, and not because it's fun, but because it's needed. I pray that every one of us has felt that feeling at some point. This recognition, this clear recognition that I have sinned. And I have dishonored the God whose image I bear. Right? He is my eternal Father. And He does not deserve to have his name attached to somebody that has done the things that I've done. I think that is that feeling of, of on my own not being worthy of what God has given us, I think can be very good for our soul. And we see it over and over in the Psalms as the psalmist recognizes the depth of, of his own wickedness apart from God. And so point one this morning, again, it's not fun to think about, but it's, we are unworthy people. We really are. On our own, by our own merit, based on our own actions, our own thoughts, 
We are unworthy. We are unworthy of being part of God's family. We are unworthy of being part of God's kingdom. We saw this as we looked in Psalms 1 and 2, this idea of us following uh, the counsel of the wicked. That's who we were at one point in life as we were part of the people that were plotting and raging against God and wanting to follow our own path and to throw off his authority. We're unworthy. We're unworthy of his redemption and of his love. And I think verse 3 clearly recognizes that, that it's not just the psalmist, but it's all of us, right? It says, if you, O Lord, if you, Yahweh, should keep tally mark of sin, who would have any hope? None of us, right? And who could stand, God, if you marked iniquities? And of course, the, the, the answer to the rhetorical question is none of us. None of us would be able to stand before God based on our own works or our own merit. That's what the psalmist is really trying to convey, I believe. It's the feeling that he has, but it's also the recognition that it's true for all of us. So, if some of you say, man, I almost slept in this morning, and I got up to come here for this for Brother Zach to just lay on my soul the weight of my sin. Maybe I should have slept in. You're going to be excited by verses 4, 5, and 6. Because the psalm takes a, a very marked turn in these verses. Look there with me. But with you, right, he's talking to God. But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in His word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. Now, just to make sure we understand the context of verse 6, what is he talking about? This, this waiting more than watchmen for the morning. So the idea of a watchman... Right, this is written in day and time with kings and kingdoms and attacking enemies and that sort of thing. So a watchman's job, especially if you're the night watchman, which he's referencing here, your job was to stand on the wall of the city or on some type of outlook post and to watch. That's literally it's called watchman for a reason. What's your job? My job is to watch. Why? Because enemies love to attack whenever you were least prepared. And so they would attack at night. And so your job is you stand and you watch. Is there any commotion? Is there any activity? Is there anything that would be alerting or alarming to me? And you're watching and you're watching. And you know that if there's going to be attack, it's likely to be on your watch. It's likely to come at night. And so you're watching and you're watching, and you have the weight of the whole city because the livelihood of all the people in the city is somewhat on you, that you would see what's coming and that you would alert everybody so that you could be prepared for an attack. And so if you're that watchman, you're just, just praying for the dawn to come, right? The first light comes and now you can relax. Your shift is over. They haven't attacked. Nothing has come. And you can go sit and know that the city is safe. So they watched for the enemy. These watchmen, they watched for the enemy because they had to. But they watched for the morning because they wanted it. They desperately desired to see that first light of the morning. And this psalmist says, God, I am waiting for you more than they're waiting for the morning. 
These men who desperately desire with all their heart and soul to see the first light, more than they want to see the sun rise, I want you, God. I'm waiting for you. And not just, I'm waiting for you, but that language of verse 5, my soul waits. My very essence of being desires your presence, God. To know your nearness to me. Now, you might kind of step back if we don't know where this is headed. You might ask the question, why would somebody that deserves God's punishment be so excited to see God coming? Why would they long for him? I don't know if any of you ever got put in the hallway in school. Did y'all ever do that? Your teacher gets upset and they go stand in the hallway I can, I, I've spent some time in the hallway. And you know, if you're standing in the hallway, you know who you don't want to see coming? Seth Lofton. Right? That's the principle. And if he starts coming, you act like you're in the hallway for some other reason rather than disciplinary action. Because when you're in the place of punishment, you don't want to see the punisher. But this psalmist, who has just admitted his sin, is saying, God, I want to see you. Why does he want to see God so badly? Because of what he said in verse 4. But with you, there is forgiveness. In verse 5, when he says he's waiting for the Lord, his soul waits. And it says, in his word, and this isn't talking Best I can understand, this isn't talking about the Word of God. This is talking about the promise. This is a promise. God has given him a word. I have promised you that that I will forgive you, that I will redeem you. And he says, "In, in this promise, in his word, I hope. So he knows that God is a gracious and compassionate and forgiving God towards his people. And so rather than fearing God, rather than running from God... He is waiting for God and he is watching for God and he is desiring to see God's presence. Point two is this. God is a gracious God. We're unworthy people, but God is a gracious God. He wanted to be near to God because he knew how good God is. He knew of his forgiveness. Yes, he says that in verse four. He's going to tell us that he, in verse 7, that he knows of God's redemption, but he also knows of God's love. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But that's what we see here about this psalmist. He was broken by his sin. It was bringing this great despair and weight into his life. And he, the only way, the only way that he could feel relief from this relentless despair was to be assured of the forgiveness that he has in God. And so he was longing to see God and to be in his presence. Because for God's people, there is a guarantee, there is a promised word of forgiveness. And I do want to remind us at this point that this is not just for the psalmist. Right? It's, it is for the psalmist, but it's for us as well. It's for everybody who respond in faith to Jesus Christ. For those that respond in faith to Jesus Christ, there is a promise of relief from our sin. Of forgiveness. Of having the guilt removed and having uh, the slavery, the enslavement to sin removed. That we are forgiven and set free in Christ. And so... Through faith in Christ, we can also 
long to see God's presence. Not have to fear Him, not have to run from Him, not have to cower, but to long to be near Him. So back to my example of the time that I was arrested and that, that feeling of deep despair. Of course, whenever I got there, before I went in to spend several hours, I was able to make a phone call, and so I called my dad. He didn't yell at me. He didn't berate me over the phone. He asked one question. What time can I pick you up? So I tell him what time he can be there. And I go in for the night. And the next morning he comes. And brothers and sisters, he came to get me. That seemed like a, a simple thing, but I want to be clear. That's a big deal that when you are in that position and you cannot drive yourself and you cannot get out of that place on your own, he came to get me was a big deal. He came to where I was. And he didn't kick me out of the family. And he didn't hate me. Now, you know what my dad did? He forgave me. He didn't just forgive me. There are a bunch of fines that come with such a thing. As a 17 year old kid, 18 year old, I couldn't pay those fines. My dad paid those fines for me. All the fines I could not pay, he paid. And he never left my side. He walked with me through the whole thing, and he helped me recover from where I was to be the man that I am today. Brothers and sisters, that's the picture of the example of my life. But it's also the picture, in an even more magnified and more beautiful way, of our Heavenly Father. The psalmist who has sinned and who knows that he has sinned, he calls out to God, and we know the truth is that God has come to where we are. Right, that He condescended from heaven to earth, that in the person of Jesus He put on flesh, and He came to us because we could not get from where we are to Him on our own. So He left there, and He came to us, and He paid all the debt that we owe. All the debt that we cannot pay, He took upon Himself on the cross. He paid the penalty for our sins, and He loves us. And He forgives us. And He walks with us. And He redeems us and He helps us to recover from being the lost, sinful people that we were. That through this process of sanctification, He removes us further and further from that type of life to being more and more like Him. We're immediately through justification made like Him in God's eyes, completely sinless. But in life, in practice, we become more and more like Him the longer that we walk with Him. It's this beautiful picture. And so the psalmist, he says, God, I'm waiting for you. I'm waiting for you more than anything else or anybody else is waiting for anything else. More than kids waiting for Christmas, I'm waiting for you. And then I want to finish with this because I think this is beautiful and I think it's needed. Right? This is where I think we start to see the kind of Thanksgiving Sunday. This is where I think we start to see the thankfulness of the psalmist, not just that he's waiting for God and that there's forgiveness, but we see in action the thankfulness, the gratefulness of the psalmist in verses 7 and 8. He says, O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Right, so a lot of you know Acts 1-8. Sometimes we call it the Great Commission in Acts. And the idea of, of Acts 1-8 is this idea that, that we 
have received power as the Holy Spirit's come into our lives, and that we are to go and to be His what? It's witnesses. We are to go and be His what? Right. I know y'all knew it. You were just asleep. This was just a chance to wake up. This is the idea that, that when we see the goodness of God in our lives, and when we feel the impact of the gospel in our hearts, that we should then go and share that with other people. Witness, tell, share testimony of how good he is and of what he has done. And here, this psalmist, I love the beautiful picture of this. He's broken over his sin and then he's forgiven by God. And what does it compel him to do? It compels him to go and to tell other people to come to God as well, right? That's He's imploring his kinsmen to do that in verse 7. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord, right? He tells them what to do. What should you do because you have sinned, but because I know God is a forgiving God, what should you do? You should put your hope in Him and not in anything else. And then He tells them why. Why should we hope in the Lord? Because with Him, there is steadfast love, right? There is this promised covenant love that when you are His, you will always be His. There's this guaranteed assurance with God and with him there's plentiful or abundant redemption that that he doesn't run out of patience and forgiveness for his children but that he continues to forgive us and continues to redeem us from the way that we live our lives point 3 we should praise God publicly I believe that's true. I think that that is an act of thanksgiving and gratefulness. To, to show God how grateful we are, we're going to tell other people about what he's done, about how good he is, and about why they should come to him. I heard this story years ago. It may have actually been a sermon illustration. I don't remember that many of them that I hear through the years. For some reason, this one stuck with me. Um, so there was a man, and he was uh, going home from work one day, and he came across a dog, and this little dog had a hurt leg, a severely injured leg. And so the man picks up the dog, and he takes it home with him, and, and he spends a good while trying to nurse and care for this dog. And he has to care for it greatly because its leg was so injured that it couldn't even walk at first, so he would have to literally either carry food did or carry it to the food and water and, and really, really cared for this dog well. And then, of course, eventually the dog's leg got better. And so one day the man goes to work and he comes home from work and the dog was gone. The dog had left. And he thought, what an ungrateful dog. Right? I went and got this dog and I nursed this dog and I made sure this dog was healed, and as soon as he got better, he's gone. Well, he sits down in his chair, and just a little bit of ears a scratch at the door, and he goes, and he opens the door, and you know what it was? It was the dog. But you know what was with it? Another dog. And this other dog had an injured spot as well. But when this dog had seen the compassion and care of this man, and it came across another dog that was hurting, it thought, I know where to take this dog because I know where he can be healed. And brothers and sisters, I'm telling you that it should be the same with us. That we are recovering sinners, 
right? That we are redeemed and rescued from hell. And when we come across other people that are sinners that are bound for hell, we ought to tell them, I know where you should go. I know a man that you need to see. I know somebody who loves you so much that no matter how much wrong you've done, he would give his very own life so that you could be saved from your sins. When's the last time you told somebody that? When's the last time that you saw somebody broken over sin and thought, this person needs what I have? And you shared the gospel with them. I believe that's what the psalmist is doing here. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. And then he ends with the guarantee. And he will redeem Israel. From all his iniquities. When you hope in God, there's assurance of forgiveness, brothers and sisters. And I'm thankful for that. So this morning, maybe you're here and you don't know the Lord. And I want to start as an application of this by talking to you about what you should do. You should hope in the Lord. You should stop hoping in whatever you're hoping in. And you should begin hoping in the Lord. Give your life to him. Come in faith to Jesus Christ. And, and experience forgiveness and redemption. If you don't, I'm saying words and you say, I don't know what giving life and faith, I don't know what that looks like. That's okay, because I do, because I've seen it in his word and I've seen it in my life. And I would love to sit down and talk to you about what that looks like. Come and see me before you leave today. And let's set up a time that we can meet and discuss this eternally significant decision. But also, if you're here this morning and you are one of God's children, you know that you're redeemed, but you're kind of struck by this last part, and you know that you're not ever telling other people about him or bringing people to him, then I think that maybe a, a good response for you to this text would be that you would pray and that you would ask God to give you a burden for the lost people around you, to be his witness as he's called you to be, and to share the truth of his gospel with people that are broken and hurting and that need to know it. Maybe you're here today and you're, you're a Christian, you know that you're a Christian, but you don't ever really think about how sinful your sin is. You kind of think, yeah, God's forgiven me, but he didn't have that much to forgive me of. I pray today, as we, as we prepare to hold in our hands a cup of juice that reminds us of the blood that Christ shed and a piece of cracker that reminds us of his body. I pray that as you look at those things this morning, as you reflect on this text, that you see this in these things this morning. This is how severe my sin is, that Christ had to die and had to receive the wrath that I deserve in order to make my sin go away, in order to redeem me from this sin. And that you recognize that no, sin is a big deal. And it makes you more thankful for who God is. And maybe you're here this morning, and you're a Christian, and you do share about Christ. Praise God for that. And you do recognize the weight of your sin. I want to invite you to stand, and if that's you here this morning, we're going to sing a song that I think will be very fitting for you as we celebrate God's forgiveness. We're going to sing this morning, His mercy is more. What a great song. What a wonderful reminder that, that our sins, they are many. But God's grace and mercy is even more abundant than our sins. 
This morning, as we prepare for our time of response, our deacons are going to come forward. Because as you're singing or as you're praying or as you're reflecting on these truths, they're going to come around and they're going to pass out the elements for the Lord's Supper. And if you're with us this morning and you're a guest and you don't really know what to do during this time, let me say, if, if you're with us and you are a follower of Christ, you're one of His children, but you're not a member of the church, we still invite you to partake of the Lord's Supper with us this morning. If you're here this morning and you're